My son Matthew loves Nerf guns. I want to give you a deep spiritual truth this morning. You have not lived until you've been awakened by a Nerf dart to the eye. <laughs> it's happened more than once, I assure you. At one point, I had just started wearing like, um, like yard goggles on Saturday mornings because I just never know when the darts were going to come flying. But you've just never truly lived until a dart in the eye wakes you up. We've been talking about awareness for several weeks. <laughs> Different kinds of awareness. Hopefully you never have to experience a Nerf dart to the eye, but you know. Um, we talk about personal awareness. We talk about God speaking into our hearts and forming us. And then we talked last week about the fact that we create awareness and help us see through blind spots in each other when we speak the truth and love to each other, which can be a challenge, right? That as we're on this faith journey together, we are intended to be involved in each other's lives in such a way that we help each other on that journey. And sometimes we sin and don't even know it. And it takes somebody in our life to go, hey, that's not quite right, to create a new awareness in us. Well, I want to talk about a third kind of awareness today. It's called missional awareness. I'll explain as we go. But it's the, of course, if we've talked about personal and we've talked about each other, then you get the idea. The type of awareness I'm talking about is out there in our community and going forward as a group of people who call themselves Jesus followers. We are, whether we think we are or not, we are sent. So we're formed. Christ is still working in our personal hearts. Christ is working in our involvement in each other's lives. And He is working through us to change the world around us. And He is not done with the work. He is making everything new. Clever, right? He's not done making everything new. So this is Genesis chapter 28. I want to set this story up a little bit just because, you know, it's a Genesis story. And you go, what's happening? There's this guy in the Old Testament named Jacob who's in multiple chapters in Genesis and has multiple encounters. But in this particular case, Jacob has already tricked his brother out of his birthright, his brother Esau. And Esau, when Esau kind of discovers the truth, he says, I'm going to kill him. Which Jacob takes as a subtle hint that it's time to leave town. So his father arranges for him to go to this other place, this other family, group of family members to find a wife and to go. And the story picks up on that journey. So basically Jacob is like on a road trip, you know, before there were roads. And like he is on a journey walking through the desert and it's, it's time to camp out for the night. And that's where we pick this up in Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. As he dreamed, there was a ladder set up on the earth the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed in you and in your offspring." Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And you will bring and you will bring back to this and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Editorial comment there by the writer. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give to me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Okay, so Jacob starts his road trip, gets into the middle of nowhere. In fact, in the first couple of verses, I think it says the word place like ten times to a certain place this place, but it's like it wasn't a city, it wasn't a town, it wasn't a metropolis, it wasn't Starville downtown. It was in the middle of nowhere. No exit 25 with a cracker barrel. Like, there's nothing. You ever been on those road trips, and it's like, I really wish there'd be an exit, because I really need to stop. And there's just nothing. And then you take an exit, hoping there's a place to stop, and there's just nothing. That's where Jacob is. He's in the middle of nowhere. He pulls up a rock. Anybody slept with a rock for a pillow lately? <laughs> That's like, hey, I'm just going to pull that. This rock looks like a good pillow. Let me sleep here. And goes to sleep. Maybe he had a dream because he was sleeping on a rock. You know what I mean? Maybe he's like, <laughs> blood flow was cut off, and all of a sudden he's having a dream. No. He has a vision from God in his sleep. A picture of a ladder with angels ascending and descending on it. Good dream. And then God has this conversation with him and says, I will be with you. I will bring you back here. And he makes the same promise he made to Abraham. Your offspring will fill the earth. So it's a pretty good dream as far as dreams go. Right? Anybody have like a weird dream last night? You know, there's like a bicycle and weirdness and you wake up and like, what was that? You know, this is a pretty good dream. At least he wasn't awakened by a Nerf dart, you know. He's, he's got a, he's, he's, but he gets up and he goes, and he has this moment. God was here and I didn't even know it. <laughs> and he takes the stone and he sets it up and he marks it with oil and says, this is now called Bethel. This is God's house. Side note, sidebar here. That was a standard common Hebrew practice. That when God did something amazing, they would build little altars. They would build little monuments. They would set up stones to mark the place where the miracle happened. To, to be a reminder that, hey, in this spot, God did this. We do that too, right? We have monuments for history and stuff that's happened. We have the Washington Monument in D.C., you know? Like we commemorate things by building something. Whenever we see it, we remember. The 9-11 Memorial, if you've never been there. I mean, like, there's, we have these things that commemorate. They commemorated God at work. When Joshua crosses... The, the Jordan River into the promised land later, first thing he does is take stones out of the Jordan River and builds a tower to commemorate God rescuing his people and delivering them across the Jordan River. That's an important key piece of this story. So he has this encounter and he wakes up and he goes, I think God was here. <laughs> and he builds a marker because there was this special miraculous promise. 
that came from God. And so he's waking up from sleep, but he's also waking up to like, God's with me. Does that make sense? Like he has this revelation, like God's not back just at home. He's at the exit to 25 where there's nothing. <laughs> you know, he's in the middle of nowhere and he's still with me. I wasn't aware. He says, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Now, how many of us have like gone, gone through a set of circumstances, an exam week, a job change, a life and relationship change, a change of location and career, and looked back and went, God was in that and I had no clue. Right? It's kind of the same thing. He's like, in the middle of the circumstances, I didn't know. In the middle of nowhere, I didn't think God was here. But you also got to remember, for the Hebrews and for the people of that day, there was a God in everything. They spiritualized everything. The tree has spirits, you know. If you go to this town, they worship this God in this town. And if you go to this place, they have the God of that place, and you got to follow the customs and the that's, that's how they operated. There was gods everywhere, little g, right? And so you learn those, but he's not in one of those places. He's like, wait, the God of my father is like with me, even though I'm like in the dirt, laying on a rock. So he has this revelation, and of course God even kind of like explains it to him, like, I will be with you wherever you go. But he has this moment of like, whoa, God was with me when I did that. God was here and I didn't even realize it. You know, I've talked about this before, like Moses, when Moses is feeding the sheep in the desert with his, when he's a shepherd and he's on the run from Egypt, right? And then he walks past the burning bush and then God tells Moses, hey, the ground you're standing on is holy. You mean the place where I just fed the sheep and let them do what sheep do? Yeah, like, how long was, how long has it been holy, God? You know what I mean? Like that kind of situation, right? There's these moments in Scripture where people go, wait, I'm suddenly aware that God is in this place. But it's not a particular place. It's everywhere. And he's just waking up to that. He's waking up physically in the morning, but he's becoming aware like in a different way that God is with him. Where are your certain places? Where have you found yourself in the middle of nowhere and God just kind of like, you suddenly became aware that he was there. Where are those certain places in your life, those certain moments in your life where you're like, I can't feel God's presence? And you question whether or not he was there. Well, if you were to read this story, you'd realize he's everywhere. He's in the middle of nowhere. And he's in church. <laughs> where is God at work all around you? Jacob's waking up, and the call this morning is for us to wake up to the fact that God has never stopped working. He's with us always, always at work in our personal quiet times, in our conversations with other people, and when we are out in the community going about our daily life. Every little conversation. Think about the words we use when we talk about God, though. And we do this in church a lot, so I'm throwing myself under the bus because I do this probably sometimes without even realizing it and thinking about it because it's part of how we think and operate. We have these great religious experiences, some retreat somewhere or something, and we're describing it to our friends. And we're like, da -da 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 -da, and God showed up. You ever use that phrase? Sorry if I'm stepping on your toes. I've used it before too, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying this is wrong, except somebody showed up, but I think 
I don't think it was God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're there. We made ourselves available. We became aware. I'm pretty sure God was already there. It wasn't God's like going, uh, connection this morning. Uh, maybe if they sing that song that Will does so well, I'll show up. God's already at work. He's already present. What He's inviting us to be is aware and awake and in tune to the fact that He's here with us. Well, we say that, what do we say at the end of most connection services when I don't forget, right? And best of all, right? We say it every Sunday, and then Monday morning we forget. We go about our day, and we struggle at work. We struggle in a conversation with our significant other, whatever it is, and we forget that God is with us. But that's exactly the promises Jacob. When you go, as you go and where you're headed, I am going to be with you in it. I'm going to bring you back to this property, this land. Now for Jacob, I told you, he's on the run. Esau just said, hey, I think I'm going to kill Jacob when dad dies. I'm going to take him out. And so he's like on the run. He's on the lamb, right? So how good was it to Jacob's ears to hear the promise from God, I will bring you back to this place, back to your homeland, back to your home people, and build a family, and I will keep that promise. When you're running from that, and God's promising you're going to get to return to that, that's a good thing, right? That's a good promise to live by, and we trust God in that, but we've got to be aware of the fact He's at work when we go and when we come home, not just at church on Sunday morning. Worship is life. Worship is the way we treat other people. Worship is what we do at church. Worship is what we do at work. Worship is what we do at school. Worship is the way we literally live our lives, which takes me to this verse right here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I think, yes, two. Oh, two, not one. Right. Okay. Chapter 2, verse, verse 4. Come to Him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see... I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then you who believe, to, then, to you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they are destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so now we got Peter talking. Peter, being a good Hebrew, pulls out a metaphor and calls us, his readers, and us, that would be us by extension, living stones. Now, being a good Hebrew, and I told you earlier, 
What do Hebrews do when God shows up in a particular way in a particular place and miraculously does something? They mark it by a stone pillar or an altar. They build stones out. And he says, you are living stones. Chosen. Picked out, precious to God, to be living stones. Now, I told you Joshua picked stones out and set up an altar outside the River Jordan, right? He chose particular stones from the place where God did the miracle and marked the miracle. And here comes Peter going, You are living monuments to the work of God, chosen in particular to display God's mighty work. A good Hebrew would know what that metaphor really means, right? What, is a living, what does it mean to be a living stone? You, this, your life, who you are, is meant to be a monument to the mighty works of God. You didn't know that. You are the Washington Monument walking around. You are the memorial wall walking around. You are the testimony that God is, not, is still at work. Uh-oh. The way I live is a testimony to God. Okay. For some of us, that's good news, and for some of us, we have to think about that for a minute. But he says, you are living stones, and even says, just like, he, like Jacob said when he, in Genesis 28, being built into a house of God. So not only are you a living marker of God's work, you're being built into a house of worship. You ever heard pastors say it's not the building, it's the people? That's what he's talking about. Literally in this verse, he says, you are being built into a house of God. Same word that Jacob calls the place where he had the vision. He said, I will call this place Bethel, which means house of God. And here comes Peter, who would be intimately familiar with Jacob and Jacob's story, and says, you are the new house of God. You are the new Bethel. You are the new monument. You are the new marker, the testimony for who God is. Then he calls you, then he calls us something else, a holy priesthood. I didn't know I was clergy yet. Anybody clergy? Anybody clergy out there? You're a holy priesthood. What do priests do? They mediate between the world and God, right? That's what a priest is, right? You go to confess, you go to go talk to the priest, confess your sins, whatever. We think of priest, you know, <laughs> that's what we think of, right? You're a priest. What does that mean? That means that the living stones, the markers, the testament, walking testimonies being built into a house of God are God's instrument between the world and Him. God's connection point, God's mediator between Him and the world. That's why He says, you will display let me find the verse again because I let my Bible close. You are a chosen, ra chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. Proclaim. Yes, you're all priests, you're all preachers, you're all missionaries. You didn't know that until you got here this morning. You can be an architect and proclaim God's mighty works. That's a little more on the nose because you can build a monument, right? You're an artist. You can proclaim God's work. Why? Because he's given you that creative talent of expression. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people to proclaim the works of God. Interesting little note that's in there, though. He talks about Jesus. He calls Jesus the cornerstone, right? Upon which the house of God is built. Y'all know what a cornerstone is, right? If you're an architect, you really do. But a cornerstone is the one that sets where the, where the boundaries of the building are, and the rest of the house is built off of that. If it's not square with the cornerstone, it's not a square house. It's the foundation. And he says the world rejected the cornerstone and becomes a stumbling block to those who reject him. But those of us who love him are built into a house upon him. Yes, I'm calling you a rock this morning. <laughs> right? I'm calling you a stone. At least I'm calling you a living stone. All right? But Jesus was the first living stone. Jesus himself, his life on this earth, was the first living testament to who God is and God's work. What does Jesus walk around saying in most of his sermons? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe, because the kingdom is here. We're building the house now. Get on board. He's the first. The Scriptures call Him the firstborn, the first fruits, the cornerstone, the foundation for the house of God upon which it's built. And His life, death, and resurrection on this earth was the ultimate marker of God's work to rescue us. The original marker of God's work to rescue us. Because if the cornerstone doesn't come, there is no house. If the cornerstone isn't the perfect sacrifice, there is no house. If he doesn't rise from the dead, what are we doing? We could be sleeping in. The world rejected the cornerstone and it became a stumbling block to them, but those who he believe, believe in him become living stones, a house of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. So, for us, what does this mean, Charlie? Okay, cool. Interesting. I'm a stone. What does that mean? Well, that means that we have to cultivate our awareness of God. We've got to be Jacob. We've got to wake up. We've got to go, wait a minute. This is, the world is not about me. There's more going on here. When we're out in our day-to-day -day lives on Monday through Saturday, we have to start to become aware of where God is at work. Which conversation, which meeting, which time, which place, which action, which charitable thing that I can do, which loving act of kindness can I do that would be a marker and proclaim the mighty works of God to someone else, that would display God's love to others, that would demonstrate that there is a God who is still at work to somebody else. We've got to start looking for those moments instead of just assuming they'll happen or being so, close, so asleep in our own agenda that we miss God standing right next to us. We've got to cultivate our own missional awareness. We're all sent. You don't think you're sent? Are you a Christian? <laughs> if you call yourself a follower of God, then you are a living stone, which means you are a marker that's supposed to proclaim God. I'm not saying you got to go street preach, but the way that you live should declare God's glory. And if we, can be, if we can cultivate this idea and we can cultivate this awareness of the fact that God's at work in a particular moment, then we can participate in that work. 
That's when we get to join in on what He's already doing. And by the way, you want to go do good for Jesus and you kind of come up with your own thing and just kind of force it, it's a lot harder than if you figure out what God's already doing in a set of circumstances and just go with the flow. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you find what God's doing and you participate in that, the work's a lot less hard. Then if you just go, this is what we're going to do. I don't care what anybody says. So we've got to cultivate that awareness and look for where God's already at work and then jump in. Then we have to live as markers and proclaimers, as representatives of Jesus to the world. I talked about that some. We've got to be His. We are His representative. We are the intermediaries. We are the priests that the world goes, that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. If they look at us and say, they don't look much different than me, then we're not proclaiming the right message. They will, if we understand and experience God's love, we will be different than other people by default. We just will. It'll be obvious. They'll be like, I don't know what's special about you, but you got to tell me what it is because I see something and I don't know what that is. And there's the doorway to go, hey, we're having a nice spiritual conversation right now. Here's what's different about me. We are literally sent to be a faithful presence. It's a key phrase. I like that phrase. Because I don't know about you. Anybody get like intimidated about sharing the gospel? Like you might get it wrong and then they'll, be, they'll go to hell or something because you blew it. You ever had that conversation? Like I didn't get my theology exactly right so they didn't become a Christian. It's all my fault. Some of you are like, I had one of those conversations. You know, like whatever, <laughs> wherever you are on that journey, right? But you try to like, I can't share my faith. I don't even understand it myself. Cool, I get that, right? What if, I, what if they ask a question I don't know how to answer? I'll look stupid, yeah. We do all that stuff, right? But here's, here's where faithful presence comes in. This is kind of what I was just talking about a little minute ago. If I am doing what God's called me to do, living as a, mar- as a living marker, as a living stone in front of other people, and when the opportunity presents itself, I tell people why I live the way I live, then you are proclaiming the works of God. You don't have to have your theology straight. You don't have to have it all figured out. You certainly don't have to have all the answers. I teach every Sunday, and I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> I got stumped last Wednesday night in our Bible study, and somebody goes, what about this? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think, Jim? <laughs> like, I have no idea. It happens. If you wait till you have it all figured out, you'll be gone. <laughs> you know, like, you won't have it all figured out. That's okay. What God is calling us to do is to live sent into the world as a faithful presence faithful to God, looking for where He's at work so that we can be the holy priesthood to the world. And it's on us to cultivate that spiritual awareness to go, hey, I think this guy needs Jesus. I mean, some of us say that for different reasons, right? They need Jesus. (laughs) Right? You've used that phrase, right? They just need Jesus. That's Southern for, I can't believe they did that. You know? I get that. But what I'm saying is, what we say at Connection, the best of all of this is that God is with us. If we would just open our, open the eyes of our heart. I've heard that chorus somewhere before too, right? Open our spiritual eyesight to see it. We know He's at work inside of us. Sometimes we, we doubt the job is being done, but we know He's at work inside of us. And when somebody calls us on our stuff, we know that's an interesting conversation. 
but are you a living stone? Does the way you live testify to God? And are you aware of the promise that God made to Jacob? I am with you, and I will keep my promises. Just go. We've talked about this before, I know, but Matthew 28, go and make disciples of the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Was Jesus, in church world, we call it the Great Commission, right? The sending of the disciples. By the way, you are one, so you were sent too. But that we always translate it, go and make disciples. But the Greek is really, as you are going, make disciples. It's not like you leave, you get up on Monday morning, it's like, okay, I'm going to be a missionary today. I'm just going to go down to Little Dewey's and preach to everybody I talk to. I mean, you can do that if you want to. That'd be kind of cool. I would love to hear how that goes. But that's not what the verse means. It means as you are living, as you are living your life as a living testimony to God, invite others on the journey too. It's not a special trip. It's not a mission trip to downtown Starkville on a day. It's a way that we live our life that people cannot help but say, who and why are you doing what you are doing? When that happens, you have proclaimed the work of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Heavenly Father, awesome God, God who keeps His promises to us, we love you and we worship you. We ask that you would continue your work in us. We ask that you would surround us with people on the journey who can help us become more like you. And then ultimately we ask that you would open our eyes to see where you are at work in all of it. In Christ's name, amen.